listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. You're listening to the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love. Thank you for joining me on the show. I've got some exciting news for you. It's the news of our guest today. His name is Ryan Estes. You probably heard of Ryan Estes before. You may have even seen him speak at a conference. He's probably one of the more popular corporate speakers on the market today. One thing that we're going to talk about is his upcoming book, Prepare for Impact. One thing I've learned about leadership is that you never tire of learning about that, and you can never stop learning because there's always one more thing to learn. He shares some innovative insights, some timeless wisdom, but also some new perspectives and even some tactical action steps that I think will make a lot of sense for you and will help you. As always, this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions, Legal Intelligence Suite of Products, Firmscape, and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. Also, if you're in the recruiting industry, check out our new premium subscription program, which also is a free membership to join called The Placement Club. Visit theplacementclub.com. Check it out if you're a recruiter. This will help you bridge the gap between where you are today and you reaching your full potential. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ryan Estes. Hey, this is Scott Love with the Rainmaking Podcast. We've got a special guest today. We've got Ryan Estes. He's probably someone you've heard of before. And now we're talking about his new book called Prepare for Impact. And I'm excited for you to hear what he has to talk to us about today. Ryan, thanks for joining us on the show. Oh, uh, thanks for having me, Scott. I was looking forward to it. Yeah, so your book is releasing soon, and I'm excited to to read that. Let me ask you this: before we get into really the topic of preparing for impact, what motivated you to write this book? I wrote the book uh, to serve. I I think uh, you know this is an interesting time in the world, and particularly the world of work. Uh, I think so much has changed in a post pandemic world that I I think um, the pace of change is never going to be as slow as it is right now. That statement may seem overwhelming, um, but I just felt like it was time to share some of the insight and wisdom. And, and it's a book that was a collaboration with my brother, Chad, who uh, runs the business of the Dallas Cowboys. And it was the timing was serendipitous. I mean, I, I think we there was a moment of pause that gave us an opportunity to put some thinking together. And as things started to change, we we're in the middle of a project and we changed with it. And uh, yeah, it was fun to work on. And I'm, I'm really pleased with the way it turned out. That's great. Now, one thing you mentioned, you talked about the world is changing fast. How do you think those who are leading organizations, even if it's a team of two or three people, rainmakers in a big firm leading a small group of people, how do you think the change is impacting them, even if they've got a small team? Yeah, I mean, I look, I work for a Fortune 500 company. I run a small business now. Uh, most of my clients are Fortune 1000. I think in any leadership role, we, we are navigating an accelerating pace of change accompanied with you have a different set of expectations from people. And it's and there's this dynamic tension between that exists today between what's required to continue to innovate, add value, compete, capture, share, or drive growth. You, you know, that which we're all focused on if we're in a rainmaking pursuit. Right. Right. That that requires more of people and continuous development and iteration and experiments and investing ahead of the curve while simultaneously. People are overwhelmed, frustrated, disengaged, anxious, and burned out. So the paradox is leaders need more. And in many respects, we're getting less. And, and yeah. that creates that that creates a real tension as it relates to growing a team, growing a business. Yeah, interesting. 
So do you think there is a potential for any sort of breaking point? Have you seen organizations where they're starting to see some major stress cracks from these things that you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I see it all around. What is it? 70% of managers and leaders today are classified as overwhelmed or burned out. CEOs are quitting at a record pace. Uh, Cycles of disruption are accelerating. Organizations are in the middle of complete transformation, whether it's digitization or reorganizing the way they go to market. And, and then, you know, what are the long tail effects of that? You hear about terms like certainly the great resignation and quiet quitting and disengagement. The Wall Street Journal does a cover story. Employees are more unhappy today than they were at the peak of COVID. Uh, it's never been worse. And so, you know, in summary, what, what does that mean? We have a leadership crisis. We have to re-engineer the way we think about leading and managing high-performance teams and growing a business. And that ultimately was the thesis or the impetus to write the book. So when you say re-engineer, what do you think are some of the big rocks in the bucket, so to speak, when a manager that's leading a small team or running a small business or even a big organization, when they think of how they have to re-engineer this, what do you think has to change and how they lead their teams? What should be things that are top of mind with them as they're leading their team that today are important that maybe a few years ago weren't as important? Yeah, I think adaptability, flexibility, vision, decisiveness, vulnerability, psychological safety. I mean, ultimately, the ability to grow a a team or a business comes down to the relationships we have with people. So I'm a big fan of Microsoft and I've followed their CEO and I I recently came out and said, you know, we're... um, we're going to evolve the culture, part of their transformation journey. Um, and I think it's it's a great case study for the, our principles in the book, which we describe as human-centered leadership. And I, okay. to me, human-centered leadership is the new approach. It is the paradigm shift. So from traditional performance management, hierarchical, top-down leadership to human-centered. And we can talk more about that and unpack it. But yeah. the Microsoft story. He, he said, you know, we're going to go from a know-it-all organization to a learn-it-all organization, and empathy is the way we're going to lead, and the model is going to be model coach care. So we, ex- we expect leaders, you know, to, to model the performance, to really serve as coaches, to enable people to become the best they're capable of being, and then to care, invest, and, and look at people, you know, not as human capital or assets, but as whole people. And the investment in creating those relationships is, is so, so critical. But what he said was... The soft skills or the hard skills. EQ trumps IQ. I think as we've come out, you know, as we've reoriented our relationship to time, place, meaning, and work, we have to lead differently. And so those are some of the keys, I think, to moving in this more human-centered direction. So tell me about that then. And I appreciate what you said. And I know one thing that you're known for just in hearing about you and seeing you speak, which you've done a great job. And I know people think very highly of you because you do such a good job and you care and you go the extra effort. And so you you focus on research. Is there any research that you've done or come across that really kind of substantiates and validates the critical need for those managers to have to be thinking this way? Yeah, I mean, human-centered organizations grow 33% more than traditional organizations. They outpace the S&P and they get ideas to market two times faster. Like there's great, great research on this that came out of IBM. So you could Google IBM and human-centered leadership for your listeners. And it just validates that this is the path forward. There's a statistic out of Accenture. Seven out of 10 CEOs say their traditional growth model is obsolete. So here we stand, 70% of C-suite leaders say, The way we've grown our business, our firm, our practice, 
right? And I'm in professional services. Mm-hmm. I've been my entire 30-year career. Right? The way we've done it historically is done. So yeah. what's what's the paradigm shift? What's the new set of competencies, skills, model, framework that we're going to adopt to gain a competitive advantage or capture share of market? And I believe my thesis is, and we unpack this in great detail in the book, is human-centered is the path forward. Yeah. So let's go down that path. You talk about competencies, models, skills. You also talk about certain principles. Where do you think we should start in kind of digging through this? Yeah, I mean, I'm happy to talk about it all. I mean, we we could talk about some of the competencies and skills. You know, and I'm I'm also happy to talk about how you could think about applying it in your own business and your own culture and 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 some of those things. So. Yeah, let's let's kind of do that then. So let's say somebody listening to this really wants to grow and understand the human-centered leadership. Where, where do we, uh, I always, whenever, anytime I try to solve any problem, I look at what are the principles and premises that govern success in this area. And let me Got start it. with that. Remember the Karate Kid movie? Wax on, wax off. It applies to everything. Uh, so let's do the wax on, wax off here. What's the wax on, wax off? The principles that really govern human-centered leadership. Yeah, so maybe a good place to start is a definition. Right? Okay, good, good. That essentially being a human-centered leader, what it means is prioritizing people. values, ideas, expression, and experiences as as most important to the long-term success of the enterprise. And so you you would balance this across three dimensions as an executive or a leader. There'd be self-leadership, right? The the things that you're doing as an individual leader to drive impact and growth of the business. And we we talk, the the subset of that is your identity, your vision, and your routines and rituals or, or the practices. That's the model coach care, right? And then, and then there's the the team leadership. Um, you know how how you show up and and drive engagement and develop your people and contribute value and build high trust, high value relationships, create psychological safety, and ultimately nurture and guide the performance of the team. And so the subset of that really is about co-creation, contribution, and you know creating this sense of culture, what we call community. And then the third piece of that, obviously, you want to grow, you got to win in the marketplace, right? And, and so, um, you know, the, the third dimension of this is, is really about market leadership. And that, that gets into purpose, like why you're doing what you're doing, the value that it creates and drives congruence. So are, are you in alignment? And then I, I think it's still critical today. This, this thing hasn't changed. But the last piece of this, if you're a leader that's going to drive growth, you own those outcomes. You take full responsibility for ownership and owning or driving the results. The very best sort of rainmakers or growth engineers that I've spent time around, they are obsessed with the outcome and the results. And I think what's changing is just the path to getting there. And that's sort of what I unpack and I teach is, of course, we want to, of course, we want to grow. Of course, we want to innovate and adapt. Of course, we want to deliver more values for our our customers, clients, capture share of market. What's the best way forward? And and that really is the discussion. I think that's great. That reminds me of a conversation I had with uh, retired Marine General Walter Boomer when he was the CEO of Rogers Corporation. Uh, I went to Annapolis. I went there in the 80s during the age of Reagan, Mm. during the Cold War, right? And we studied leadership. And all the things that you mentioned, we were taught that every single day back then. But the one thing I was always curious about, what's more important, taking care of your people and leadership or accomplishing the mission? What you talked about, that third dimension, taking full responsibility, but you know you have to win. You have to achieve the results. And so I remember asking him this question. I said, what's more important, taking care of your people or accomplishing the mission? And that's a challenging question for a Marine. And he said, it's all about accomplishing the mission, but you have to have the right people in place. 
If you have the right people in place, they will accomplish the mission. So what, and you're going to say something, you're right. Yeah. You know, I, I think part of my thesis actually would suggest that taking care of your people is the best path forward to accomplishing the mission. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. And when, where those things are disconnected, I think you, you have some real due diligence and discovery and, and analysis and responsibility. Um, to, right. I have the right people in the right jobs and I'm taking care of them. You know, what, what's broken? And Yeah, absolutely right. So let's just say, are there any pitfalls that you've seen managers, executives, entrepreneurs fall into as they're really trying to move into this human-centered leadership area? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the pitfalls is I don't think many leaders today, many managers today are organized to invest the time that it's required to develop the potential of their and the and the kind of relationships that are required. And, and look, part of it is proximity. You know, we've got a hybrid workforce. You know, my my team is distributed. We do, we just aren't building the types of connections and we don't have the ambient influence that coming into work each and every day once created. But this is, you know, so many managers today and leaders today, I think it's approaching 70% identify with being burned out. We're overwhelmed, we're stressed, we're taxed at the manager and leader level. And the pushback that I would get as, as we get into the details is, well, who has the time to do that? And, you know, part of my response to that is, that's the job. If you don't have time to invest in developing relationships and developing the skill and competency of your team, you're not oriented to create sustainable success. And so I think that's I think that's one of the great the great challenges today is how do we organize and orient ourselves so we have the time to do the things that are required to create sustainable success. You can create quarterly performance. You can cut your way to two quarters of, of growth and inflate your stock price. But what, what about the next 10 years or 20 years? How do you create long-term sustainable success? That's the second answer to your question is I, have to, I think we have to think differently about our result. And, you know, we have this myopic obsession with short-term performance. And what that incentivizes is taking shortcuts to the detriment of people in the long-term success of the enterprise. Yeah, right, right. So, so tell me a story of somebody that has done this and has done it well. Someone that you know personally, maybe. Maybe someone that you've coached or mentored or just have known throughout your career where they took the time to do this. How did they find the time? How did they actually make this all happen? And what success did they achieve? Well, I, you know, I've got a bunch of examples, but one of my favorite examples is the case study that we leverage in the book, which is my brother. And, uh, you know, the Dallas Cowboys are a wonderful example of an organization that I think has continued to innovate and iterate, takes great care of their people, and has delivered value in the marketplace. So you think about Jerry Jones bought the team of the ladies for $187 million. Today, you know, they're the most valuable franchise in all of sport. Not just the NFL, but in, in you know the most valuable sports franchise ever, approaching ten billion dollars. They have fan activation and engagement that supersedes any other NFL team, and it's actually a great place to work. So, you know, when you, when you read the book and you think about the principles and you look at what they've done, you know, we unpack some of those stories and his stories in the book. And I think it's a it's a fun example or a case study of a brand certainly that's well known, but an organization that has really evolved from what I would say as we as we've traditionally known them. Hey, they're a, they're a football team. Not really. They're, they're a, a much more complex entertainment and hospitality enterprise. Yeah. And you think the co-branding they've done and the other markets that they've entered and the way they've innovated, they've completely reinvented 
the way entertainment is marketed and sold. And I, I give them a lot of credit for that. And, and, and they've done that by having great people and taking really good care of those people on the way. So, you know, culture, values, mission, investing back into your talent. That's an example. I mentioned Microsoft would be another one. IBM is on a transformation journey. And, you know, they're a company that I've, I've done some work with. And I'm a huge fan of the, you know, the, you know, Microsoft is model coach care. IBM is a model coach win. So depending on, uh, you know, on, on where you, uh, you know, on where you net out from a performance perspective. And then the last, the last one is, you know, personally, my my business, Impact 11, I, I think uh, we're following these principles and we don't get it right or perfect. But, I, you know, our, our growth and our, our net promoter score and our employee engagement and retention is off the charts. And I think it's largely because of our operating principles, uh, the people we have and, and how aligned we are to service and the mission. So that's great. Um, so tell me, then you, you mentioned routines, rituals, practices. What are some examples of those that you've seen in action with executives and managers today? People that have done this well. Yeah, you know, one of the one of the principles in the book is that we talk about is is go for coffee. And it really is just the the frequency of your one-on-one encounters and you know part of the part of the messaging around that is and and this is something the Cowboys do and my brothers implemented is that anybody in the organization can request a coffee meeting with him at any time. You don't have to go to your boss or your boss's boss's boss. It's no, you can get on his calendar for 15 minutes or 30 minutes, have a cup of coffee. He's going to build relationships, invest in you, develop your team, develop your talent, and really nurture those relationships. And that transparency, that line of sight, that accessibility and approachability, an organization that pours back into their people, it, I, I think is a great routine. So having that those kind of one-on-ones, having an organization that's really invested in developing developing their people, developing their talent, I think is a great practice and a great routine. So that's, that's, that's one example. Yeah. I love that. Um, That's easy. I think that, uh, absolutely right. What I've seen within my niche of recruiting in the legal community, partners leave law firms because of strategy reasons or also leadership reasons. And I've seen that the leadership is a deficit that just, it's just something some of these law firm leaders just haven't really thought about in terms of developing leaders. If, if there's a leader of an organization that really hasn't taken the time to really implement any sort of leadership development strategy, some of the things that you talk about, because these are big organizations that just haven't done anything like this before. Where do you think people like that should yeah. start if they wanted to really start to be more intentional about changing their culture that way? You know, I've, I've got a great example from law. So I am... I had an opportunity to work over the course of a couple of years with Proskauer and Steve Ellis is, is the Proskauer chairman. And he really is a human centered leader. And, you know, he, he said something to me that was similar to your reflection. He said, you know, Ryan, he said, we're, we're great. We're a great law firm. We've assembled great lawyers, but our lawyers don't necessarily know how to lead. Those are two different skills. And, you know, when I reflected on that, I said, I understand. I was a really good sales professional, an individual contributor. I was great in my territory. I produced great numbers. Then all of a sudden they wanted me to manage 10 other sales. I didn't know how to do that. Yeah. I had no one trained me on how to do that. So I made a ton of mistakes. And, you know, we unpack some of that in the book. But here's Proskauer, one of, you know, the 10 largest law firms in the country, he said, we're going to develop our leaders. You know, we have this talent strategy and this leadership development agenda over the course of years. And we're going to start investing 
back into our people and our culture and our management style. And I was a part of that journey, you know, at the onset of that. And I got to work with him over, over the course of two years and um, had a ton of conversations with him and something that impressed me so much. Here's the chairman of Proscow who, who funds this, invests in it, puts a workshop together. It started at the partner level. So we're going to require every partner of Proscow to go through this leadership development curriculum, which I was a part of. I didn't do the whole thing. I had a piece of that. And uh, I delivered, I think, over the course of, I don't know, six to eight workshops, whatever the number was. And wouldn't you know it? He never missed one. Wow. He- I asked him the fifth time, I said, Steve, you you could give this now. You've been here every time I'm in New York. Every time we do a workshop, you come. He's Brian, like, this is this is my job. I want to be with my people while we're learning. We're discussing our future, our competencies, the culture we want to create, how we're going to lead. He said, I couldn't think of a more important use of my time. That's leadership. And I always say leaders develop other leaders. So a little check-in for any firm. How are you developing, not your skill and competency or practice of the law, how are you developing leadership? How are you influencing culture? How are you building relationships? Because I will tell you, young lawyers are burned out. And you want to know what else about young lawyers? They don't view making partner after eight years as some big prestigious thing on their career journey. They're interested in other things. And so figuring that out, and how we're going to manage this next generation of legal talent. And I know you see this in recruiting because you're in those conversations, but that's real. Yeah, it absolutely is. And that affects everything. That's a really interesting story, Ryan. So as we look at action steps, if somebody listening to this, this is exciting. I want to take action on this. Where do you think they should start? If we could parse this and bring it down into three action steps, what would yeah. those three action steps be? So, so first is I'm a big fan of confronting the truth and creating a gap analysis. So, you know, one is the vision, right? Like, where do you want to be? And I think organizations by and large do a great job of that. So number one is what's your one-year vision? What's your, yeah. you know, and I'm, I'm out doing a bunch of conferences now. So a lot of CEOs can stand up and say, Hey, here's what we're going to do for 2024. And here's where we're going to go. And, you know, these are the four key strategic objectives. Awesome. And then confront the truth. What's your reality of getting people engaged and inspired and moving forward in this direction? And what are the barriers? So I would be, and this is what we do in my, my business. We get really clear on what's the vision. What's the strategic plan to get there? What are the barriers that are that are standing in our way. So I, those are a couple, there might be more than three here. But the final thing is, I think right alongside that in parallel, as an individual leader, you have to be honest with yourself. We do something when we're coaching called establishing a personal leadership vision. Okay, that's great. I've never heard of that before. A personal leadership vision. A personal leadership vision, because we, we do a great job as enterprises of establishing a vision for the organization, which by the way, is important. I'm not minimizing that at all, but individually, we should also really have clarity in who we want to be, what we believe, what we want to be known for, the impact we want to create, and how we're going to be remembered by the people we work with. And when you take leaders through an exercise of establishing that vision, it, it, usually it's altruistic, right? It's a, you know, we're, we're aspiring to be a little bit more than we are today, and that's great. But that true north, that line of sight really can create some clarity 
on how we're going to show up in service of others. Leadership isn't a job. It's a responsibility. And it's not about us. It's about helping other people become the best they're capable of being. When you do that and you're scaling across an enterprise, the enterprise is better positioned to deliver results and grow. And so having that sort of vision of who you're going to be and how you're going to serve, I think helps. It gives leaders a true north to actually show up in service of others and drive a result. And it's and it's a really meaningful exercise to the people that that go through it. I, I work with one of the revenue leaders at IBM a couple of years ago, and we were talking about personal leadership visions. And he said, you know, I did that exercise 30 years ago. And wow. I, I remember deciding who I was going to be. And, it, you know, nobody had asked me questions like that. He said, but it's real. He said, yeah. he gave me something to aspire. And when it got hard, when I lost control of my emotions or I violated my own values, I had that document. I had that decision of who I was going to be. And it helped me make decisions I could be proud of in six months. That's great, Ryan. That's such a great story. And I I really appreciate everything that you shared. And I think that is, in its purest form, what it's really all about is, because you know how it is. Leadership is something that you never tire of learning more about. And you never can learn it all because there's always going to be something you've never seen before when you deal with people and you got to be ready for it. So tell us then, what's your vision then in terms of the value that you have that you'd like other people to know? How can you benefit them? What are some of the offerings that you have, the things that you do, things that you want people to know about how you can help them? Yeah, I'd say so that, you know, the first thing is obviously we've got the book coming out, which was, I think, the catalyst for the conversation. So, you know, prepare for impactbook.com. We're excited about it. It, it unpacks you know, our nine principles of human-centered leadership. And, and there's a lot of great sales content. And the book's meant to be actionable. So there's exercises, questions. At the end of each chapter, you can really work with that material. You know, obviously, I speak in support of the book. So, you know, we're delivering keynotes, workshops. And, you know, and we built this great community of experts and thought leaders called Impact 11. And I'm so excited um, this year at Impact 11. We're launching a corporate product. So all of the IP content, material and resourcing we poured into helping experts become better speakers, better deliverers of messaging, more influential, inspirational. We're, we're going to shift that in, into the corporate world and, and we're going to help leaders develop some of the skill and competency that we talked about in our conversation today to inspire, influence, and really create impact in those high stakes moments when they're in front of their team, when they're at a conference, when they're delivering a message in order to get everybody aligned and drive growth. And to me, it's one of the most underdeveloped leadership competencies in the world today. And so my company, Impact 11, is going to bring that to the world. And I I can't wait because I think we're going to help people become better leaders. And ultimately, that's what makes the world of work a better place. Absolutely right, Ryan. Thank you for being here. Thanks for sharing your wisdom with us. We're going to put the links for you and also the book on the show notes. So everybody listening, just go to the show notes wherever you hear this podcast. And Ryan, thanks again for being here. I'd love to have you back on the show in the future. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.